With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Over the Monster Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. Keaton, welcome back for another week of exciting Red Sox talk. Yeah, this is exciting recording the podcast twice in a row for my apartment. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, Keaton's a world traveler, so uh, <laughs> this is... This is uh, unprecedented ground for him, nearly. Um, we do have some good news, though, to kick off the show, Keaton, because our yeah. last show, we spent probably 30 to 35 minutes just talking <laughs> about Chris Sale. Um, yeah. And after all, Chris Sale does not need Tommy John surgery. Um, he was recommended um, a little bit more of a conservative treatment by Dr. James Andrews. He got a PRP uh platelet-rich plasma shot in the elbow, and he will be resting and rehabbing for the remainder of the year. So Red Sox fans will not see Chris Sale again this season, uh, which is certainly a blow to their playoff hopes and you know the rotation in general. But this is probably good news overall that he didn't seem to have a tear that was clearly bad enough to need it operated on right away. Yeah. And that was just kind of the, the fun timeline piece of us recording on a Monday morning. We finished it and posted the podcast, and it was about an hour and a half later. Uh, the news came out that he didn't need Tommy John, so that was kind of funny. Just, But, you know, that's just how stuff works. But it's, 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 it's interesting because the first two cases of PRP shots that came to mind um, were Garrett Richards, who eventually needed Tommy John surgery anyway, and Andrew Heaney, who also ended up needing Tommy John surgery anyway. Maybe the timing of it helps where it's the end of the season, he shut down, then we're going into an off season, so he has plenty of time to let the PRP shot just rest and recover before he actually has to throw a ball again in however many months it is until 2020 spring training. So that, that may end up playing to his advantage, but it's still something that, I think is going to be on a lot of people's minds as we go into next season and particularly how they again end up planning and using the pitchers in spring training leading up to the start of the regular season. So it's definitely something that's, it was good news because we didn't end up losing Chris sale for all of 2020, but uh, it doesn't feel like we're quite out of the woods just yet. And we won't really know if we are or not until he starts throwing again in the spring. Yeah, I agree. And and just to um, go off of a few other recent examples of PRP treatment, just to give us a bigger sample size as well, um, Masahiro Tanaka is probably the most um, uh, successful um, version of the pitcher that was diagnosed with a small uh, tear in his UCL 
uh, got PRP treatment in um, 2014 and has not gotten Tommy John since then. Uh, he's been ver varying levels of effective uh, throughout that time period. Um, but Shohei Otani, before he ended up um, undergoing Tommy John surgery, also did do PRP and it didn't work well for him. So I think it's it's a treatment that is fairly inconsistent. You don't really know how people are going to respond to it. Um, and I don't know that I would necessarily say that Tanaka has been like as good as he can be. Um, since he was diagnosed with that, um, you know, that, that injury, I, I guess I would say, I, I think that Tanaka has been a little bit inconsistent because if you look at his stats, um, you know, since then he's, he's had, you know, some decent seasons, um, 2015, 2016, he was pretty good. And in 2018, 2019, he hasn't been so good. So I don't know whether or not it's super effective, but. I don't know. Works for some people. doesn't work for others. I guess well, I think it's not clarifying it's a, anything. It's important to note, though, with that Tanaka. So one of the things that Joe Girardi was actually incredibly good at doing was managing Tanaka's innings. And there were several points during the season where he would give uh, Tanaka like six days off between starts or skip a start just to make sure that his arm was healthy throughout the year. Uh, I have not paid really any attention at all to how um, Aaron Boone has done with it. But that may actually be one of the keys to why he the past two seasons hasn't been as good as the previous seasons because there's a change in manager and there's a change in how he's being utilized. Mm. And it's also interesting to see, is that something that the Red Sox might do next season and giving extra days off to Chris Sale between his starts uh, if he needs extra rest with that? Because I think that was probably the a key component and difference on how Tanaka was handled versus some of the other guys. I don't think when the other folks came back that they were really little. Well, I guess Otani only pitched on Sundays anyway because he was hitting in between. So that was a bit different. But again, I guess it didn't end up working for him either. So maybe extra days off doesn't mean a thing. And it just happened to work out for him for a couple seasons and then now it's caught up to him. I'm sure Chris Sale will be decisive, too, about making that decision. If Chris Sale feels like it's not working, he's probably not a guy that's going to be content with pitching at, like, 80% of what he's capable of forever. I hope so. I hope so, too. Well, that's uh, that's probably all we have to say about that. Um, but let's go and talk about where the Red Sox stand right now as a baseball team. So currently the Red Sox are 14 and a half games back of the New York Yankees. Not like that matters at all anymore. Um, but in the wild card, things are a little bit more interesting. The Red Sox are six games back of the second wild card spot. Tampa Bay and Cleveland have those two spots right now with Oakland a half game out. Um, still the Red Sox face an uphill battle, battle with, you know, two of those teams having to really go in the tank and the Red Sox having to do pretty well. But the Red Sox are 7-3 and three over their last 10 games. So they've made up a little bit of ground on at least two of those teams. No ground on Oakland, though. Yep. The, I guess the one thing that they do have, I guess, going towards them is that they still do have a series with Tampa Bay coming up, so they can use that to their advantage. Although any single time that we have said that throughout this year where they had their fate in their own hands and they had an ability to make up ground themselves going head-to-head -head versus someone who is ahead of them in the standings, uh, they have failed miserably to take advantage of that. So my guess is that will probably be about the same and that will probably bury them. 
Yeah. Well, one of the things that's been really good about the Red Sox, though, over the last few weeks, looking at a little bit of a larger sample size than just the the 10 games that we mentioned there, the the Red Sox bullpen um, over the last, uh, what do I have here, 20-game sample or 20-day sample size. So there's a few games in there, 72 innings of bullpen work here. Um, has a 2.63 ERA, over 72 innings pitched, striking out 11 guys per nine, walking 3.38 per nine, only allowing... 0.5 home runs per nine. The bullpen has been nails for the last month or so. Yeah, it has. And Josh Taylor's kind of pitched himself into a lot more consistent high leverage roles. And particularly over the last two weeks, uh, 12.15 K per nine, 1.35 walks per nine, and hasn't given up a run in six innings, six and two thirds innings, seven appearances. Um, he's someone that I think you and I both kind of like halfway through the season just kind of I mean much like other a bunch of the others really we didn't really care whether he was here or not. Um but he's kind of pitched his way into uh a bit of an important role here with a bullpen. And that is interesting to see. Yeah, it is. Um Josh Taylor's been awesome. Brandon Workman has also been awesome. He's locked on that closer spot. He's got a one ninety three ERA in that time span that I mentioned. Um, Kashner has actually been pretty good out of the bullpen as well. He has. And Ryan Brazier since he came back. Brazier, I have not seen pitch with my own eyes since he came back, but it is nice to see that he's doing all right. Um, I mean, we expected him to have a much bigger role this season, and I was a, I was kind of surprised when they sent him down, although you called it like right before it happened too. Um, I just I felt like they were relying on him in coming into the season so much that it wasn't someone that they were going to end up sending down at the time that they did when they're still trying to get you know significant innings out of just about anybody. Yeah. Um, but it seemed like it was the right thing to do. Yeah, I think it was, and it, it certainly seems like it helped him um, figure out his pitch mix again. He was so fastball happy early in the season, and it would just get him into a lot of trouble. He wasn't throwing his secondaries enough. Um, but he has looked a lot sharper since he came back. Um, on the flip side of things, though, <clears throat> the the starting pitching has been predictably the problem over this same time span. Um, Chris Sale has uh, 14 innings over this time span, has been excellent during those. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, 2.49 ERA. That doesn't even include today's outing, which bumps that down a little bit more. Um, Rick Porcello, 409 ERA. He's been better lately. Um, but Johnson, Eovaldi, and Kashner uh, over that time span in early August till now. Um, Johnson, nine innings, six turn runs. Um, or I should say that that does include Eduardo Rodriguez. This doesn't include Brian Johnson's latest start. Um, Nate Eovaldi, 12.6 ERA. And uh, Andrew Kashner, 11.57. So... It's really difficult that the rotation is relying on Eduardo Rodriguez and Rick Porcello for so much of the work here. Yeah, I mean, they they really don't have anybody else. Uh, we thought we were going to get um, Price back today, I think, but they ended up pushing that back. So who knows when he's going to be scheduled next to start. So we're basically just rolling out there with Eduardo Rodriguez and praying that you're going to get what Rick Purcell has been in his last couple starts. Uh, because if not, you essentially have one starter. And 
that's not really going to do much good because you're going to have to rely on all of these other guys. They've been pairing um, Kashner and Brian Johnson together on the same day. They've been trying to get anything they can out of Evaldi. It just doesn't really seem to be working. You just can't get deep in there either. So you know you're going to end up having basically two back-to-back bullpen days. So it's just kind of a mess, and they're just backing into this the end of the season with just whatever bodies they can roll out there. Yeah, it's it's important that Eddie and Porcello continue to be able to go deep into games, though, so they can uh, give that bullpen as much of a chance to be successful, and so far, so good. So we're going to see that shuttle from Portland I'm in a Pawtucket working quite actively, I think. Yep, I agree. All right, um, let's move on to listener questions. Um let's let's tackle our first listener question that kind of has to do with what we just talked about we're gonna why we're hitting listener questions so early in the show we got a ton of listener questions and we thought they were all pretty good so um we're gonna just hit those but richard has our first question he says why are people still clinging on to hope that we make the wild card when there's three better teams above us and the Sox have done nothing to show any capability of actually being any better than they are currently Keaton, what do you say to that? Because I know you've been a little bit more optimistic than certainly me. I have been. And it's the the little things, like if you look hard enough, you can find something. Um, one of the things that I brought up was the games against Tampa Bay. So they have, what, a four-game series coming up here in a bit. So that's a chance for them to... Uh, get some games. Well, I guess actually it's a lot closer to the end of the season. But they get a four-game series, so that's a chance for them to get potentially four of these six games back um, if they can maintain that distance. Uh, and then, so it's basically they got five weeks left in the season and they're six games back, so it's you know a game and a quarter per week. Doesn't seem like an overly daunting task. But at the same time, without any <laughs> starting pitching, they don't really have a hope. Like the bullpen can finally be good, but if they only have one starter who can get them to the fifth inning, that's not going to matter. Just from a pure numbers game, they're just going to run out of pitchers here in like maybe a week and a half. Yeah, so. that's the tricky thing. Like if they if they didn't have two teams ahead of them to chase, if it was just Tampa Bay that was right in front of them. That would make this a whole lot easier because then you're absolutely right, Keaton. Like they have those games against Tampa Bay where they can directly head to head climb back into this thing. But even if, say, they like took all those games against Tampa Bay, Oakland could just be ticking along fine and still maintain distance. They can. And I have no idea what um, Oakland's schedule looks like. But Tampa Bay's, I imagine, probably looks similar to the Red Sox, where they have a bunch of games against Toronto and the Orioles still left. So, Yeah, Oakland has four against Kansas City coming up, and three against the Yankees, then three against the Angels, and three against Detroit. Boy, so. is that an easy schedule, except the ones against the Yankees. But yeah. Yep, that is not great. Nope, not ideal. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> it's it's been better. 
Um, all right, let's move on to our next question. Stephen Nichols has a question for us about Christian Vasquez. He says, do you think Christian Vasquez is actually a good hitter now? Did you see this coming? Can he carry it over to next year? So, yes, Christian Vasquez has been good. Um, Christian Vasquez on the year currently has a 282 batting average, 321 OBP, 482 slugging percentage, and a 102 WRC plus with 18 home runs. That means that he has been a better than league average hitter at a spot where being a league average hitter is a win. Um, he has changed some things from past years. He is striking out more than ever, 20%. Uh, this year. He was 15.2% last year. But the big gains that Christian Vasquez have made have been in terms of hard hit rate. Um, last year, he was at 27.5% hard hit rate. This year, he's at 34.6%. He hasn't really changed drastically. His line drive, ground ball, fly ball percentages, those have stayed pretty well in line, but he's hitting the ball harder than before. The other thing that we've noticed with Christian Vasquez this year is the uh, contact uh, has been slightly different. He is in the swing rate. He's swinging at more pitches outside of the zone um, than he has ever before. Um, he's swinging at more pitches inside of the zone uh, than he has other than last year. He was at 64.7%, but he's right around that at 645 this year. Um, but his contact has actually gone down. Uh, his contact in the zone. Um, his contact in the zone has gone from 93.6% in past years to 87.8% this year. Um, but when he does make contact, it is of a higher quality. So, Keaton, do you think Christian Vasquez can maintain these quality of contact gains that he's made? Potentially. I'd say there's a higher rate if they stick with this ball, um, as I think he has been a benefactor of that for sure. Um, his average home run distance this season is a lot further than it was last season, um, which is probably a byproduct more to do with the ball than um, his typical ability. It's normally like a massive jump like that isn't something that's necessarily... Well, I mean, I guess it's just barreling the ball a lot more. Yeah, I think it is possible... And if he actually goes back to making more contact within the zone, could be even a little bit more better. More yeah, better. He he has um he has his best barrel percentage of his career this year by far, six point four percent. His previous best was two point seven percent, and his exit velocity is eighty nine miles an hour this year versus a previous best of eighty seven point two. Uh, his launch angles remain pretty much the same. He hasn't really been a big launch angle guy. Um, I don't know. His BABIP normalized this year. It's a little high. It's 320, but most most projection systems have him as like a 300 to 310 BABIP guy. He probably isn't quite this good, but he's definitely become a better hitter. He's yeah, a more it, purposeful hitter, I think. It's funny because I see things in this in the the quality of contact that are like this seems a little bit unsustainable, but then there's other stuff that I'm like, well, he actually could be actually a little bit better here too. So that ends up probably evening itself out too. Um, yeah, this could be who he is going forward. 
Wouldn't be a bad thing. No, it wouldn't. And especially if he can maintain this power, um, that's important for him. He's He's been a big doubles guy, too, this year. I can't remember how many he has. He's got 23 on the year already um, with still substantial time left. Um, and that's by far a career high. Last year, he only had 10 doubles uh, throughout the season. So he's been using the monster. I, I feel like he's been pulling the ball slightly more um, than he did last year as well. Um, I don't know. I mean, he's he's 29 years old. Catchers take a little bit longer to develop. He's certainly comfortable defensively. I think he has a great relationship with Alex Cora as well. So I think that this, this job is his, um, and he'll continue to be a pretty good player next year. Yeah, it would be nice not to have to worry about who you're rolling out there because, I mean, for the past couple of seasons, we really haven't expected to get anything out of that position except the occasional... Uh, Sandy Leone heater. Yeah. yeah, I agree. All right, let's go to our next question. We have a question from Nick Smith. He says, uh, also, can someone show Alex Cora that Brock Holt and Marco Hernandez are hitting lefties considerably better than Chris Owings hitting against anybody? And this, I think, is referring to Alex Cora's decision to pitch hit Chris Owings uh, for Marco Hernandez in lieu of either keeping Hernandez in the game or putting Brock Holt in there. Um, I agree. This this decision was befuddling. I don't really understand the the love affair with Chris Owings in this situation. Brock Holt's better and has been decent against lefties his whole career, and Marco Hernandez has a way better bat than Chris Owings. So, I yeah, this this one didn't make a lot of sense to me. No, and it it honestly just feels like the like old school baseball where oh well we got a lefty so I should bring in a righty. There's Owings. Holt, take a seat. Without actually understanding that Holt is actually better at hitting lefties than Owings. Yeah, Holt's been dangerous this whole year. So has Marco Hernandez, but I feel like Holt has been pretty clutch. Uh, as well so i did not like that move whatsoever um and hopefully someone will you know relay that information it Nick seems also- like that's kind of started to change all right after the um the kansas city thing on thursday we saw a lot more of brock holt this weekend than we have in recent games so maybe that's where things are going to trend now yeah i agree and i think we also saw Owings used the way that he's supposed to be used um, on Thursday when the Red Sox were doing the little makeup snippet of a game, uh, the one that Brock Holt got the walk off. Uh, Chris Owings was used as a pinch runner at second for um, Christian Vasquez, who had doubled in that inning, and then Brock Holt was the one who drove in the run. So I think using Owings as a pinch hitter or as like a last body in a a late-inning situation is kind of where you want to be with him. So using... Owens is a pinch runner, and Mookie is a pinch hitter, you're saying, makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that a little <laughs> bit better. Um, Nick also follows up with, can Chris Owings and uh, Brian Johnson get sent down today or just left in San Diego? <laughs> um, yeah, they weren't very good. Um, obviously, they can send these guys down if they uh, – well, they can't – send brian johnson down because he's out of options uh, i don't know what 
Owens' option situation. No, he has no options either. So both of these guys would have to pass through waivers if you sent them down, I believe. Yeah. Okay. But I don't really care. Yeah. Someone can get claim happy on those guys. Um, the way the pitching is right now, see. probably not Johnson, but I would be fine with just letting Owens go. There's no point. Yeah, he's definitely redundant. Um, next question. Timothy Campbell says, Chavis's trade value this offseason? This is an interesting question, and I know that you're a bigger Chavis guy than I am. So where do you stand with Michael Chavis's trade value? And I guess let me elaborate on this question a little bit more. Does it even make sense to consider trading him this offseason? I don't think so. I'm not sure what the gain would be. I mean, we have positions that we need to figure out that he can fill both first and second. So they need to figure out what they're going to do with both those positions and he can play them both. And worst case scenario, uh, he's someone that you would love to have available to your team with depth or just for depth in general, which is something that they have not had anywhere at all this season. So I think we talked about it on one of the previous pods, but you and I both like Scooter Jeanette. I think that would be a fine free agent addition to play second and then see Chavis play first. He's good enough defensively to handle that, even though he's not as tall as some other first baseman. He's still fine. Uh, And if they end up going a different direction and filling a hole at first base, um, again, he's good enough defensively to play second, too. So I think um, we've had such a wild rash of players come up and be like the prospect studs that they were projected to be right out the gate that people forget that a lot of them, it doesn't work out that way. (laughs) So um, by no means was this season really a failure for Chavis, but um, more playing time is really the only way for him to get better. And if you remember, uh, Dustin Pedroia was probably had like the worst first half of a season that you could uh, in his rookie season, and then he ended up winning rookie of the year. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I mean, so I guess with, with Michael Chavis, um, I, I don't think his trade value is very high, to answer your question. I think that Michael Chavis showed exactly who he is right now this year, and that's a guy who is inconsistent and still has a lot left to learn. Um, his splits by month this year uh, in WRC+, Plus, March, April, he was a 174. He came out absolutely gangbusters. Uh, May, he was 101 basically league average june 86 july 99 and august he was a 12 um his splits by half 105 in the first half 63 in the second half so he's been significantly worse because the book is pretty easy on chavis right now um it is don't throw him breaking offerings throw him high heat up in the zone and he cannot touch it um so i think that chavis is going to need to make some strides and figure out how to hit that high heat if he ever wants to be a regular but even in the event that chavis like for some reason doesn't figure out that fix of his game i think that chavis is an incredibly valuable bench guy like i could see him not being a major league starter and carving out a really 
um, useful role on the Red Sox as a fill-in at first, second, and third. Yeah, I agree. I think if you were going to move him, then you would probably be looking at a, getting a cost-controlled starter in return, and teams just aren't giving them up. Yeah, not for a guy like Javis. I think no. that that would be too big of an ask right now. Yeah. So hold them. Yep. Um, all right, next question comes from Sandal. And uh, Sandal asks, where would we be if we resigned Kelly or Kimbrell? So I was curious about this because, <laughs> like, these guys aren't having very good seasons at all. Um, Kimbrell has a 528 ERA in 15 innings pitched this year. And Joe Kelly has a 4.26 ERA in 44.1 innings pitched for the Dodgers. Um, neither of these guys is playing particularly well. I don't think it was the individuals we really wanted back. It was the, the innings. Yeah, like we wanted important players for those. I was totally fine with not bringing these two guys back. But I wanted some guys in place of these guys. I will, I will give Kelly credit, though. He is surging in the second half, 198 ERA over 13.2 innings. So maybe he's he's found a fix again. Kimball's numbers, though, are a bit deceiving. I mean, well, the ERA is large, but he has 11 saves and only two blown saves in those 15 innings. And um, even with that, I mean, his strikeouts is 13 per nine. Walks almost... Pretty similar, like four and a half to what they were last year. His strand rate's actually higher than it was last year, and his ground ball rate's actually higher than it was last year. So the ERA looks bad, but it's probably due to I think that his first couple starts for the Cubs, one of them went just absolutely terrible. He ended up being tagged for like five. Yeah, so his uh that's splits super by hard. Half. Yeah. That's super right. hard for a reliever to overcome in a you know, just fifteen innings. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're, you're right. It's a first half ERA in 3.2 innings of 12.27, and second half ERA over 11.2 innings of 3.09. So he's been much more like Craig Kimbrell in the second half. Yeah, and I mean, we saw the like some struggles with him last season. I mean, he missed all of spring training because he was dealing with the, the health issues of his daughter, and so he didn't have a, a normal spring and ramp up last season that affected him in the beginning of the season. Obviously this year he didn't have anything until like June. (laughs) That was difficult transition, but I mean, it only took him like seven appearances with the Cubs to have more saves than anybody else on the Red Sox. And with the amount of saves that they've blown. So, I mean, I guess just since this question is specifically talking about Kimberl, it speaks to a larger point that we've been harping on all season that hey maybe we need a closer yeah and lo and behold (laughs) when uh workman finally locked down the closer role uh in this 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 past month of august in that times period where i just gave you those stats at the beginning of this podcast um since workman has locked down that position the whole bullpen has been performing way better and all of the guys have said that they feel better about having to find roles so wow that's so weird yeah it's it's almost like if they just had a closer from the beginning of the year things might have been a lot different this season yep so the 
actually kind of leads to an interesting point. Maybe it's a larger conversation for another pod, but do you think they're just going to go into next season with Workman as their closer? No. I think that it's going to be um, the number one priority of the offseason to uh, sign a number one, like, A-type closer. And I think that they're going to go after Will Smith really hard. I would love that. That'd be great. Yeah, me too. That would be awesome. Um, and I'm trying to see, but it was really he got a couple saves in the middle of uh july workman but it was really starting on the fifth which is when i those stats that i gave you were from that he locked down that role almost exclusively and he got a save on the fifth on the eighth uh and on the 24th um so he is he has been that ninth inning type guy since then and the bullpen's been good what do you know keaton all right, so Zach, next question. He says, reasons to watch the Sox even if they don't make the playoffs. To be honest, I will watch regardless, but I feel like it's always good to remember. Uh, it's not always about the end result. Um, so this is an interesting question. And when we did, uh, when I did our, our weekly radio hit that we do with uh, 92.9 The Ticket up in Bangor, Maine, um, I was talking about some of the things that I'm going to be watching uh, for the end of the season um, and, and definitely two of the most interesting things are, well, I guess I'll expand it out to four, but like where the numbers finish up for J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers, and Mookie Betts are super interesting because Betts and J.D. are surging big time in the second half, and Devers and Bogey have been hot all season long. So seeing where those guys end up is going to be fascinating. Yeah, it will. I mean, that's pretty much what I'm looking at, too. Uh, and just the the day to day joy of Devers and and Bogarts, but particularly Devers and the extra base hit mark that he's chasing is wild to think that he has a chance to actually do that with how poorly he started the season through the first month. I mean, he's basically hitting like a hundred points higher for the season than he was through the first like thirty five games of the year. And to think of that turnaround, and now he actually has a chance to have like the most extra base hits that they have ever had, is just wild. Yeah, it really is. Um, and in my one of like my my favorite stroke of genius this year um, in fantasy baseball was trading for Devers right before he went off. Um, that's like it's made my season in one of my leagues but not that you care about my fantasy baseball team uh i'm just really happy to have owned a, a piece of this this rafael devers glory this whole season long but i actually think he's gonna get there to be honest um just the way he's playing right now he's playing so out of his mind and the guys around him are playing so well right now like mookie is getting on base and xander and jd providing that protection i think it's gonna happen yeah, I when Matt and I were talking about this on Locked On and kind of giving our over-under predictions, I said under just because it seemed just really hard to get there, but then dude just doesn't hit anything that isn't an extra base hit. It's either a home run or a double every time. So, I mean, if that's what you're going to do and you're going to hit 330, then I mean, you're going to get you're just going to get there. <laughs> I think it's also going to be interesting to see where Mookie ends up with his run scored because right now he is 
on pace to score uh, more than his his total of runs scored from last year, where he had 129. He's already at 118 um, this year. Do you think he will get to that 145 mark? Yeah, I do, because of how hot everybody behind him is. Um, I mean, he just basically hits a single, and then Devers follows it up with a double, and it's one to nothing. And then he's got a run scored, and Devers has an extra base hit. And then <laughs> just a run per game for Mookie and an extra base hit per game for Devers is done in the first inning. Um, Xander Bogarts, do you think he gets the 35 home runs? He's at 27 now. I said yes when I was doing this with Matt. It seems like he's kind of cooled off a bit, but uh, just seeing who is on the Red Sox schedule, I still have a lot of really bad opponents in the AL East. So, yeah, I think he's going to get there. That one's close for me. Yeah. Um, I agree with you on the Mookie runs. I kind of think Xander might fall just just slightly short of that mark. Um, let me give you a J.D. Martinez question before we move on here. Um, J.D. Martinez currently has 30 home runs, um, 82 RBIs, and is batting 312 with a 570 slug. Do you think J.D. Martinez, as hot as he's been, will finish the year with 40 home runs and 100 RBIs? 40 home runs and 100 RBIs? Because he was 43... And 130 last year, 45 and 104 the year before. Hmm. He would have to hit 10 more home runs. Yeah, sure. I kind of do too. The the rate that he's been hitting home runs at lately, um, and we've seen like two years ago when he hit 45, he did that in 119 games. I think he can get there. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, he's a, he's a freak. Um, the other thing we'll be we'll be looking at and monitoring, and and I mentioned this on that radio hit that I was talking about, but uh, I'll be monitoring the innings for uh, Eduardo Rodriguez where he gets to, and then also the innings for both uh, Marcus Walden and Brandon Workman, um, because both those guys are on pace to throw more innings than um, Joe Kelly threw last year, and Joe Kelly led the bullpen with sixty five and two thirds last year, last season, so um, those guys have been used a ton. And they it's sure not have. Not going to get any, any less with the guys who they have now. Nope. Was it the the season? Was it twenty thirteen or the season before twenty thirteen that Koji ended up going like seventy eight innings, something absurd like that? Oh, I don't know. Let me check that. You think it was, there was the twenty thirteen season, season? I just yeah, thought there Koji. was a season where he had just uh, an he, absurd he amount of innings. Yeah, 74.1 in 2013 when he was basically the best reliever I've ever seen in my life. That's so many innings. Yeah, he was worth 3.1 war as a reliever, which is unfathomable. He had a 109 whip that year, 12.23 strikeouts per nine, only walked 1.09 guys per nine. It was the best season, and he struck out 101. My God, his whip that year was .57. Ah, oh, man, he was good. Koji was a god. That is so many innings. Uh, I loved Koji. Wow, that just made me so happy to think about him. Yeah. All right, Shelly versus straight. We know Shelly. Uh, Shelly asks us uh, a question about Mr. Brock Holt. 
the Brock star. He says, Brock Holt is a free agent at the end of the season. Will the Sox move on? This is a really interesting question, Keaton, and one that I've been torn on. Um, from a baseball standpoint, it makes no sense to re-sign Brock Holt. But from a clubhouse standpoint, it makes all the sense in the world. And that's not to say that like Brock Holt has had a bad season. Brock Holt's been great this year. But you just have so many other options that can play Brock Holt's position. So I'm curious what you think about this. Yeah, I, we talked about this on one of the previous pods as well, that they have so many guys that play this position and like Sue Whalen, someone that they'll have to have a decision on. They've got Holt, they got Hernandez, and I think both you and I were like, it probably just makes sense to re-sign Holtz. That's kind of where I'm at. I mean, I agree that like in terms of just strictly baseball sense, it's not maybe the smartest move, but it's probably what they should do. And I think it would be weird for him to be someplace else. Yeah, I agree that it would be weird to see him go somewhere else. Uh, he's 31 years old, so he just turned 31 in, in June. Um, so he's he'll be 31 all of next, well, most of next year as well. Um, his line looks way better than... His actual counting stats, he's batting 315, 390, 452 on the year with a 120 WRC+. Plus. Uh, it actually got a little bit better today because he had a couple hits. Um, but he only has three home runs, 137 ISO. Even with the fun, happy ball that just goes and goes and goes, uh, Brock Holt doesn't do a lot there. But I think what this comes down to is just clubhouse, right? And yep. do you want this guy there for the clubhouse? And he can also go out into the outfield when you need him to. So, uh, you got to keep him, right? Yep, I think you do. I can't believe I'm saying that. I think we were actually, Nunez was still on the team when we had that conversation last time. And I think it was basically like Hernandez, Sue Lynn, Nunez, and Holt. And they were probably only going to bring one of them back. And we both said Holt which I, I still agree with. Let me ask you this. What about the Red Sox going into next year, starting Marco Hernandez at second base, not signing anybody as a free agent, and then bringing back Holt? Um... So essentially Holt would maintain his role. Marco Hernandez just gets to play more. Gets an everyday role. He's better defensively and has a better bat than Brock Holt. So in some ways that makes sense. Yeah, I think I would probably be okay with that, actually. Um, just because the rest of the offense is wildly good. That I'm not sure you have to have like a stud everywhere. I mean, we've seen and this offense is just really good with those guys rotating. It always just feels better to have it locked down, but, I mean, Hernandez has been a lot better than we thought he was going to be. And then maybe having a, a routine offseason going into next year, he may even be slightly better. Right. He'll be another year removed from his his surgery. Um, he's a guy who hasn't shown a lot of power yet either, but I think that we all think that there's a little bit more in there than he's shown, especially if he gets another year under his belt. So that's an interesting one to consider just because – they are looking to save money at different positions, and that's one they could do that with their internal guys. Um, next question, Jeff Wax, who comes to us with two questions. Uh, he says, 
One, should John Henry do whatever it takes to hire Theo Epstein? And two, list all the players the Red Sox should cut in the offseason. Uh, any thoughts on Theo? Um, I mean, I still love and appreciate him for everything he did with the Red Sox. But I don't think... It would be kind of weird bringing him back. It would be super weird. You, It's just not... not there's no Not way something you should do. Yeah, especially with I mean how it ended with that with the organization, that's not going to happen. Theo has like the best situation with the Cubs too. And yeah. Theo's already a Hall of Famer um, as a GM. So, I don't think Theo wants anything to do with you know digging up old Boston expectations and coming back here. That would just be a no-win situation for him. Complete yeah. no-win situation. In terms of guys who they could cut, um, I, I think the guys who I'm looking to uh, right away are guys who are out of options and sort of like on the bubble guys as well. Um, Brian Johnson's, I think, a guy who they could choose not to bring back next year. Um, and then a few of the guys that we've already talked about who are on the 40-man roster are eminently expendable Trevor Kelly, Bobby Pointer, um, Colton Brewer, um, Hector Velasquez, Ryan Weber, Joey Carletta, um, guys like that are guys that they could, you know, move on from. But I don't know that like there there aren't that many obvious names in the bullpen right now. Josh Smith is probably the only one that's obvious that they should move on from, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, and then I guess the, the big thing is what ends up happening with Dustin Pedroia. Yes. And, and Heath Embry and Stephen Wright, those two would not surprise me, actually, if they were not with the team next year. I would be okay with both of them gone. I don't like both of them as people either, so I'm cool with that. Yep. Um, all right. Next question from Jeff. He says... Should the Red Sox replace Joe Castiglione with Chris Berman? Just kidding. Yeah. Berman is my actual nightmare. When he was in the Red Sox booth as part of that rotating thing that WEI had going on this year, I could not listen to the game. I physically like could not listen to it, and I love listening to it on the radio. Joe is the best ever, and Berman is just sounds like a maniac. That was so confusing to me when they announced that like nine man rotation and they had Berman on there for like five games or four or five games. I didn't understand that at all. I didn't either. Um, Berman's awful. Everything about him is unlikable. And Joe hated being in the booth with him. You could just like, <laughs> his, you know, you, you can tell Joe's emotions in his chemistry with guys. Um, he absolutely loves when, uh, What's his name is in the booth with him. Um, the dude, uh, the funny guy, uh, blanking on his name right now, uh, Sean McDonough. Uh, like he is giggly and happy, and like he 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 seems to like being in the booth with him. Pemba and a few of these other guys, but when Berman was in the booth, you could tell he wanted to be anywhere else. I can't really say I blame him. No, yeah. All right. Next question comes from Kaysen Saroyas, and he says, September call-up predictions. Do you think Dombrowski will get fired? 
And would you be okay with firing Didi if he is replaced with Mike Hazen? Mike Hazen, who is now with Arizona. Um, let's start with September call-up predictions. Um, Keaton, give me your predictions for September call-ups. I think the ones that I would like to see, I mean, besides Bobby Dahlbach, who seems the most obvious, most sure thing, the other ones I'd like to see aren't on the 40-man, um, like Tanner Houck. So I'm not entirely sure if they'll end up getting a shot. But they have guys, like we reviewed the 40-man, and there's some guys that they can drop. So I guess it wouldn't – they could easily make room in different ways. But Do you think how yeah. he gets added, considering he's not Rule 5 eligible this upcoming season? Do you think – like – so I guess the, the decision that the Red Sox have to make is if the Red Sox are planning on using him in their bullpen next year, why not add him and bring him up? Um but if they're not planning on having him as a bullpen guy, then they probably shouldn't bring him up so he can stay off the 40-man. But do you feel like he's going to be part of those bullpen plans next year? I mean, honestly, I feel like who the hell knows what their plan <laughs> to do with the bullpen next year is. So, um, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, that one I'm a little bit torn on. I kind of think if I'm them, I don't make this move now. To give myself a little bit more flexibility going forward. Um, I don't know what you would specifically gain by seeing him in the majors this year versus deciding to make that move and add him to the 40-man at any point next year. Yeah, that probably makes sense. I do want to see Kyle Hart, though. The the two guys I want to see are Bobby Dahlbeck and Kyle Hart, kind of over everybody else. And both those guys would need to be added to the 40-man. But they both need to be anyway. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next part of this question, Keaton. Uh, do you think Dombrowski will get fired? Yeah, yeah, this is a tough. I don't think that he will. Um, shoot. Actually, you know what? I, I'm going back and forth on it. I'm not. No, I don't think he will. Why not? Well, yeah, I guess if they don't, they have to give him an extension. Yeah. No, I changed my mind. I think he will. Because I don't think they want to give him an extension. So I don't think they want to give him an extension and they're not going to let him go um, into a year just um, just into that like walk year without some sort of assurance. So I think he will, yeah. I also think he's going to get fired um, for the job that he did this offseason. And I don't know. It just seems to be a lot of smoke coming out and usually when there's smoke there's fire as far as Mike Hazen um, Mike Hazen is currently the general manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks and I don't think that there's any reason Mike Hazen would want to leave that position so I would be shocked if he's a guy that that comes out of that position to go to the Red Sox I'd be a little shocked too yeah he made a commitment to that team so all right last question of the day comes from joe mcquarry and he says should we trade for triple a columbus clipper kai tom in the case the Sox can't keep this outfield under the luxury tax i don't know who the hell this guy is do you know who kai tom is nope not until we got this question and then i started looking at his stats and i mean he's doing okay a triple a 25 year old outfielder for the indians um 
Although the Indians probably want to keep as many outfielders as they can because their outfield is a little weird, even with the um, Puig, Franmil trades. Um, I mean, I guess a outfield move might make sense as far as this particular one. I don't know. Yeah, I wonder if this person is just related to Kai Tom or something. Maybe. That's why they're asking us this question, but I don't know. I have no feelings about him, but I think that you hit it right on the head. If if he was useful, uh, the Cleveland Indians, who had an abysmal outfield for most of the year, would have used him. Yeah, I think they would have. Any thoughts before we get out of here, Keaton? No. None. Are you planning anything fun for this upcoming week? This week is like almost all full of fantasy football drafts. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, good luck in your drafts, Keaton. Uh, I have one draft coming up next weekend as well, um, but I start my fantasy baseball playoffs this week in a few of my leagues. So it is crunch time, peoples. Thank you for listening to the show. We do appreciate it. If you enjoyed the show, um, first of all, thank you for the download and thank you for uh, tuning in to us. Um, subscribe to us if you haven't already and also follow us on Twitter you can follow Keaton at the Spoken Keats you can follow me at, at Dev Jake and you can follow the Over the Monster uh, podcast and uh, site at Over the Monster so thanks again and we'll be with you next week at the same time yeah.